today's episode of Juice of the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracing. I am Corwin Heller. And we're back on the Monday. Can you believe it? A holiday Monday, holiday weekend for those of us in the working world, three-day weekend. And we still got the podcast out. We are committed to getting back on schedule here. We did it, folks. As George Bush would say in 2003, mission accomplished. 2004, whatever it was. Who cares? I am committed to stopping the war on terror. Now watch me bomb this draft. And uh, with that, there's not much going on. There really isn't. Coaching hires are still happening in the NFL. We're still going to just sit on it until they've mostly wrapped up or we've concluded that portion of it. So we're not just doing it piecemeal because talking about one coaching hire at a time is kind of boring. That mm-hmm. being said, Brian Flores was hired recently as a uh, defensive backs coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is mm-hmm. an interesting development, not in linebackers, the, linebackers coach. I'm oh, sorry. Linebackers, coach. De- defensive assistant linebackers coach. I conflated mm-hmm. some words there. It's and like uh, we do it. It's, it's not like it's we're going to sit here and talk about what that means for the linebackers core for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but that has implications because of Brian Flores' lawsuit as well as the status of black coaches in the NFL because that also officially means Brian Flores won't be a head coach anywhere this upcoming season, which means that there is one less uh, certainly qualified black head coaching candidate who will not have a head coaching position this year. Do you think it'll genuinely have an impact on the uh, lawsuit itself? Well, I I don't know. So what I would imagine, I'm not, I'm not going to say a lawyer because I'm not a lawyer and I have no idea how that aspect of law works or how you have to think about it. But I know if I was a person defending the NFL, whether that be in like a public forum or not, uh, the talking track there, I would imagine would be, Look, he got hired somewhere. So front offices have put their, uh, I don't know, ill will of him to the side. Uh, they're mm-hmm. not racist because they hired a black dude. And uh, they, they, they did it. He is working and receiving NFL paychecks, which means the NFL doesn't have a problem here. You know, I think the funny part is that won't have nearly the same level of impact because it, also just happens to be the only team that already has a black coach. Well, that and the issue is that black people aren't getting hired to be head coaches like Brian Flores, who has head coaching experience, winning did not get a head coaching job. That's the problem. The problem is that a more than qualified. He's not even the assistant head coach. He's not even defensive coordinator. He's not even. The assistant, he's the linebackers coach. Uh, like, and that's not to say fuck all linebacker coach and, and, and core group coaches, but he was just the head coach of a team that barely missed the playoffs. He should mm-hmm. be the head coach of another team. So there's, I think, a, a maybe a, a sense of conflation between getting hired in a vacuum and getting hired for a position you're more than qualified for. Like if, uh, if someone with five years, not even a lot, 
like in the grand scheme of a corporate job, five years of corporate experience got shit canned and they had two interviews, one for a equivalent position at a different company. I got fired as an accountant at uh, PSE&G. I'm going to go apply to be an accountant at Bear Paints or I'm going to apply to be a uh, cashier at, at McDonald's. I got offered the McDonald's job. Clearly, there's no problem here. These are the same. They're not the same. They're not the same at all. And guess what? Being a head coach is significantly harder than being a linebackers coach. And you, if you've done it successfully for, honestly, one year, let alone the, the term of, of Brian Flores' career, which I think is only like two or three, you deserve to have it again. Yeah. It's pretty fucked. I'm really happy the Steelers were able to sign him. We all know he's going to have looks later down the line, regardless of how this lawsuit plays out, because I don't know. Honestly, maybe that's just me with my wishful thinking based off of past perspective where, oh, yeah, of course he's going to get an interview. Oh, he's going to get a serious look because of that. You know, that's what that means, right? Um. But my goodness, he should by all means be getting looks at head coach in positions. But here we are still uncertain if that is what it actually means. But hey, if the Steelers can keep him in house for a year, two years, I doubt he'll last even that long. Um, I'm very happy. Super successful coach. It would, I think it'll be good to see the culture. And just get a different perspective, if anything else, if you want to find some possible um, silver lining. But at the end of the day, the I fact mean, that he has to settle for such a position is disgusting. And, you know, huge shout outs and a lot of credit to Mike Tomlin and to the Rooney family, because they very well could have ended up saving his career because I would not be surprised if the reason Brian Flores took this position was because one, if you have a job in the NFL, it is your dream to have a job in the NFL. Mm -hmm. No one accidentally ends up the head coach of the, of the Miami Dolphins. Like Corwin and I did not dream of our current positions, but we took jobs that we applied for and got accepted to because we need money. Like no one accidentally, like I accidentally became my current job title. No one accidentally became the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> so if, if you are working as a coach in the NFL, it was your dream to do that. And so for Brian Flores to have the opportunity to really what this feels like is Mike Tomlin or whomever brokered this little arrangement saying, if Brian Flores gets shunned from the league because of this, his re-entry, his chances of re-entry are essentially zero. Because owners will use the excuse of, well, you used to head coach, but you haven't had coach in a few years, so you're done. We don't want you. The game has moved on from you, which would be a lie, but they would say that anyway. And what this does is it allows Flores to at least be in the league so that in future seasons, he has more opportunities to continue pushing for his head coaching position that he deserves. It is obviously not the way anyone would have wanted this to go because Brian Flores deserves to have a head coaching job, but it allows him to stay 
perennially in the conversation around head coaching positions because he'll be actively working in football. And it won't be such a catastrophically huge position where the Steelers, and this might be me projecting a little bit, but I would imagine the Steelers put him in a position that they could, wouldn't have to build around because they're going to assume he's going to get a head coaching position. Which, I mean, the Steelers just hired a defensive coordinator, coordinator internally. It's not like they have Brian Flores there. It's like, all right, you're, we have you in this position for this year. Next year, we're going to promote you up to defensive coordinator. It just would be a really bad look for us to do this this year after just hiring him. But, hey, you're the defensive coordinator, coordinator in waiting. You know, oh, when Mike Tomlin retires, we'll have you be the head coach in waiting as well, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, there's no way the Steelers are going to have that be their plan with this guy. They're not planning on him being there for multiple seasons because I can't. Um, it's a position where, hey, senior defensive assistant, he's going to be in the booth. He's going to be right there with Mike Tomlin, voice in the ear, you know, just working on improving the defense, just getting, you know, talented guys, smart guys in the building to help make this team better. And at the end of the day, that makes your team better all around. So I'm all for it. I'm not worried about, you know, how long his tenure is going to be with the team. I'm just glad that he's a part of it. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no such thing as having, you know, too many really smart people at, at all your positions. Yeah. Um, from the Steelers perspective, it's like, you know, you're, you're getting plenty of out of him. I'm sure. Uh, but still it is, uh, it's unfortunate because of what he should have, but it's, it, it's good that he has at least this because cap like guys like Kaepernick didn't, you know, mm-hmm. well, the, this is uh, frustrating and still not right, but it's a small amount of a type of progress. I'm trying not to be like, this is good. It's not good, but it's better. I'll say it's better. Yeah. It's not the worst case scenario. Yeah. Right. Um, I got a little distracted by that, uh, Josh. I just sent this to you. Um, during this entire discussion, you know, Twitter's been blowing up because the head coach of Michigan's basketball team, Juwan Howard, who, you know, was a face of the team back in the Fab Five era, you know, brought the Michigan team to the national championship game in 99, sometime around then. Um The Michigan team was down, you know, out of the game. Game was losing. The opposing, you know, Wisconsin head coach called a timeout, pissed off Jawan Howard. And after the game ended, they were going through the handshakes. Coaches shook hands. And Jawan Howard was so heated and so upset getting into his face, he ended up uh, throwing a punch at the opposing team's coach and starting an entire scramble uh, on the court, which – Hey, believe me, I love Michigan men as much as anybody, but that's a bad look. That's a really bad look. You can't be doing that, especially as the head coach. I just keep watching this clip. And it's, yeah, it looks like it he threw a slap down at what was attempted to be the head coach and ended up hitting what looks like, I guess, an assistant coach right in the jaw. And then Michigan players start like throwing punches, it looks like. Or maybe they're just really pushing and shoving. This is also really shows. Oh me. no, yeah, no. There's, there's, there's punches being thrown on the court. This really shows me I do not know how basketball works because I don't understand how 
Oh shit! Yeah, okay, I see the punches now. Yeah, um, some serious punches. Yeah, I don't. How is what happened offensive? Um, it's one of those things where it's like calling a timeout at the end of a football game with like you know thirty seconds left when you're up two touchdowns to you know your defense is out of position and you know there's something something where like the defense isn't lined up correctly against the offense running just like a, a bullshit play that isn't going to impact the final score of the game and you call a timeout to fix it and then the opposing coach being like yo let's just fucking end this game like let's get this shit over with come on gotcha. um, so it's not like you know he spit on a player or, you know called some bullshit play that got somebody hurt or anything like that it was literally just like a you're rubbing it in our face type of shit at least from what i've seen from twitter i've watching the game well shout out to juan howard great range i'll say that the the arm span at full effect there uh yeah really made use of that wingspan love to see you from a former pro if you uh if you haven't watched the fab five uh documentary 30 for 30 I've seen, the, I've seen Queer Eye. Penn yeah. State. It's a great Maybe show. Uh, <laughs> uh, even as a Penn State fan who just hates Michigan, um, really great documentary. Well, everyone should hate Michigan, and everyone should start ha- loving Michigan State. Let's go Trojans. It's all about the Trojans. <laughs> all right. Probably so, could mention that, yeah. Yeah, it's all good. Um so that's really kind of it with NFL stuff right now with the um, you know Super Bowl just wrapping up a couple weeks ago. There's not too much else that's really happened yet. Um, I'm not sure if is free agency even officially started yet. No, I was gonna say yeah. So we're probably not gonna get any real updates or developments on that for a while. Oh, uh, bold prediction. Here doesn't start Shit. until like the second week of March. Yeah, I'm gonna pull that up real quick if I can find it. At this point, because we're already like 20, 30 minutes into this podcast, let's save that for Wednesday. <laughs> All right. We are dumb. We said that we were going to do that last episode and already forgotten the three days we record. Whatever. Fuck us. Uh, all right. So aside from that, really, the only other thing that's going on in the world in which Gordon and I concern ourselves and keep tabs on is MLB lockout updates number 95. And that is there's still no baseball and no baseball to the point that spring training games were supposed to have started. So in a normal year, which feels like we haven't had in quite some time, we would be watching televised baseball just about today. Uh, as spring training games would be shown on your local TV networks where the players you have never heard of before, even though you are a huge fan of your team end up facing off against players from teams that you didn't know existed. Uh, and however, spring training has been delayed until at least March 5th, according to uh, MLB as a result of the delayed negotiations. And, uh, it's an interesting kind of thing because you don't have to have a new CBA in place to play the sport. Really? The way it works is if you're still negotiating a new CBA, 
you can keep playing. You can play the regular season if they wanted to. They would just abide by the old CBA's rules until they came to an agreement. Chances are somewhat, you know, if I'm not going to say that if the players didn't want to do that, they could then strike instead of playing the season. I wouldn't say chances are because I have no fucking clue. I'm an idiot. Um, but if the players really felt so strong about the current CBA or really putting pressure on the player, the, the, the owners, they could just do a strike in, instead, but because of the worker stoppage or the, uh, yeah, the, the, you know, the lockout there, they don't even have that option. And so MLB is like, Oh, don't you hate it? We're going to miss spring training games. It's going to fuck with the regular season. This lockout sucks, but they're the ones locking it out. And they're saying we can't start baseball until there's a new CBA, but that's not true either. You can play baseball without the CBA. So it's led to another narrative shift. That is this sucks for both sides and it's both sides at fault that we're missing baseball games at this point when that's not true either. I missed the first part of that sentence and you, I just, you know, kind of heard you going into like, Oh, it's both sides fall. Or just like internally, just like Josh, what the fuck are you talking about, man? <laughs> you are in who got to you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That if, <laughs> if I had been kidnapped and there was an explosive tied to like my balls, that would be my <laughs> sense. Let you know that something is deeply wrong. <laughs> There's ever like a clone of you. And it's like, Oh, I got to figure out which one to shoot. I just have to ask about, Hey, what's going on with the CBA? What's your stance on what's going on? <laughs> yeah. And look, you know, who's to say if the players would strike or not, but it, it's, it's such a weird positioning thing that news organizations are keeping up with. And, you know, usually I don't know who owns what there's too much ownership of too much other stuff for me to keep track of it all. I don't know who owns what, mm-hmm. but I really would be surprised if you told me that, a bunch of owners owned all the newspapers, like every paper, not just the big ones, New York times, uh, New York post, who, who knows who cares, but it feels like every publication is the Washington post, Mr. Bezos, which means honestly, if I was Jeff Bezos and if I was Jeff Bezos, I would be doing a lot of things differently. But if I was Jeff Bezos, I would be slandering MLB in the Washington post to try to drive down somebody's value. Or, or, to, or so I could go to Manfred and be like, I'm going to keep dragging your name through the fucking mud until you sell me a baseball team. Just Jeff Bezos using all of his political capital to acquire like all of his Bezos blackmail. Of, yeah, Rob Manfred's like, I'm going to just straight up post these. I'm going to put your fucking old man dick on the front page of my newspaper every day until you end this bullshit. Yeah. I mean, straight because you got to admit, that's a that's a winning strategy. Like you will sell me the Tampa Bay Rays or else <laughs> or else. That's and Robert goes, oh, shit, the Rays, you can have it. <laughs> uh, wait, you're going to spend how much every year on payroll? Thirty six dollars. Shit, that's such a great improvement. Let's do it. Yeah. Jeff Bezos is secretly just Jeff Flowery in disguise. Um. Because it feels like all of them, there there feels like there's a missing conversation happening because we always get the player, the the ownership side of everything. We never get, you know, like this is absolutely an issue that the players have 
a complete clear vision on and a lot of autonomy in what's happening, or at least a lot of ability to, to, to say, fuck you, you're wrong. And it's still a missing part of kind of what's going on. I'm sorry. I'm distracted by the fact that Corwin, your background is so white. You were like an angel. Like in and out. Yeah. Yeah. I got sidetracked by the, by the sheer amount of contrast (laughs) in your frame. But anyway, we're getting getting artwork for this fall. Don't worry. There will be something there at some point. At some point. There'll be a, a, a really be big mural of like a mandala or some other lame shit. No, Josh, it's going to be a golf image. Of oh, you're right. I'm a fucking idiot. Sorry. It'll, it'll be the ninth hole of some stupid course in like Savannah. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, I feel no, like I'm this not is something. Uh, Augusta is really close to Savannah. Oh. <laughs> um, I think this is, you know, the agency that minor league players and and players as a whole have, I think has been one of the few things that have been greatly improved by the growth of social media, where the stories that we basically only got from the owner's perspective are now being, you know, brought up from the player's perspective because more people are able to see, you know, you know, through retweets or through, you know, reposts or whatever it is that, you know, social, however social media works, who knows? Um, engagement. Engagement, right. Engagement. We're able to kind of look into, look behind the curtain for the first time um, and see exactly how exploited these players are by these billionaires uh, with a B. And I think that's kind of why we've been able to, see so much movement and so much support for these changes and it's not just i right, fucking negotiate with this so we can have baseball fucking i don't care compromise blah, blah 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 we're able to see a push for like oh wait no this is really really uh unequal um, i mean we just uh there was a video making the rounds the other day about a minor league ball player who shared a, a tiktok that found its way into twitter they posted part of his w2 Showing he made just over $11,000 last year. Yeah. That is very, very far below the poverty line and very, very far below the minimum wage. Yeah. I mean, for being honest, that that's a lot of people like working a part-time summer job twice. Like you could make five grand home from college for four months working part-time. Yeah. And that, that that's four months part time. Like this is a guy who's expected to be one of the you know best players in the country. One of who's supposed to be in the best physical condition he could be in, and trying to actively constantly improve him on himself so that he can make it to the majors potentially, and play every night. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's it's baseball baby every night. And he's going to scrimp by on 11 grand before taxes. Dude, you can't even pay rent on that. No. And there's no way you can support yourself. You can, there's no way you can improve. There's no way you can get ahead. Corwin, these avocado toasts are killing this generation. Oh my God. Stop buying so many streaming services. You need Netflix and Hulu. Guys. 
I just canceled my Netflix subscription. I can't wait to uh, buy a house. Yeah, they're sending me the deed as we speak. It's, it's um, oh god, it's ridiculous. And it's like, oh well, they'll make the MLB and they'll be millionaires one day. It's like, well, they won't. Ninety percent of them just won't. No, because you get you also got to think. You know, you get paid per game. You don't get paid for the year. Mm-hmm. So if you end up, if you do end up getting called up for honestly, even like, all right, hold on, let's do some quick math real quick. Gotta love classic juicing the numbers on the spot. Boy, we didn't consider this earlier math. Uh, minimum salary for MLB. I forget what it is. Let's uh, hold on. Let me look it up. I'll, I'll have it right. MLB minimum salary. It is $615,000. Okay, so $615,000. That is for 162 games. So divide that by 162, that means per game, it's about $3,800. So even if you get called up to play uh, in for, for the Yankees for like, I don't know, 10 games, it's 38 grand. And even if that's mm-hmm. what you made, adding in the 11 grand from, from the other gig, you've only made 60K that year, barely. And you're not living on that. And yeah, you know, let, let, let's yeah. bump it up. Let's bump it. Let, let's, say, let's say you played, uh, you know, $3,800. You played 20 games, 20 games with the big ball, with the big league club. That's a pretty good stint. That's $76,000 that year. That's a good amount of money. But think about how wildly disparate it is between 10 days of your life. That's what it's that's what it's coming down to for these guys. They are playing at destitute levels of income on the offhand chance that 10 individual days give them enough income to survive on for the year. And most guys don't get that opportunity. The vast majority of guys don't get that opportunity, but they play because they because it, it's what they're meant to do. It's what they're trying to do. It's what their life has led them towards. 10 days. Imagine your entire ability to survive. Cause $76,000, you're not thriving. $76,000 is not, I'm buying a Bugatti and a house in Miami. $76,000 is like a, a good salary for a normal person. Like mm-hmm. it's a difference between having to scrimp on under 30 K and being able to live okay for the year at 76K, 10 days of your life, your entire life comes down, financial life comes down to 10 random fucking days that may or may not happen. Um, that's the American dream. Yeah. Wealthiest nation on earth, people. Oh, you got to love it. You got to love it. So anyway, where we are at is currently still a standstill. Uh, both sides have presented with barely any movement from what I've heard recently. Corbin, lay it on me. I think we're going to see a, a serious death to a or a serious decline to the amount of players in minor league baseball because there's now no reason for players not to go to college and play college ball for four years. Oh, because of NIL? Because they can make more money going to college than they can playing professional baseball. And I think that, if anything, that might be – no, it won't be because 
why the fuck would that change anyone's minds? Because there's no reason for them to think that, oh, we'll just get them when they graduate, shit like that, rather than oh, getting them in our system now. But I think there's going to be a huge boom to college baseball because there's no reason for high school prospects who aren't getting taken in you know the first or second round to go play minor league baseball rather than going to college. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it was already relatively true beforehand because even surviving on student loans is less predatory than surviving off of the, because I'm, and that, that might sound ridiculous. It's absolutely true for, for these guys. Cause I don't think people realize <clears throat> the minor leaguers don't get paid minimum wage for a 40 hour work week. They get paid minimum wage or lower because they have exempt status, uh, only for the time that they're actually on the field. That's it. Yeah. Them in the weight room doesn't count. Not getting paid for that. Them at batting practice. I don't think that counts. I'm not sure they're getting paid for that. That's like how flight attendants and pilots only get paid when the plane is in the air. It's a very similar construct for baseball players, for minor league baseball players. It only counts when you are on the field. It's fucking unbelievable just how predatory the entire capitalistic system of our economy is yeah and how people will write it off because your job is cool like yeah playing baseball that is a cool job it doesn't mean you deserve to get fucked in the ass daily by an organization that doesn't care if you live or die as long as you provide entertainment for some middle-aged family there on a tuesday regardless Modern day slavery. Only half a joke. Yeah, a little bit. Only half. <laughs> um, so apparently both sides will be coming together a little bit more frequently. I think they said they'll be doing daily, if not uh, every other day, in-person meetings starting this upcoming week. Um, as the progress has been very slow going so far, uh, in part because MLB isn't giving a lot of counter offers the most recent uh, meeting that they had which lasted about 15 minutes this past thursday was in which ml the the players association gave their most recent counter offer to mlb which they pulled back on the super twos and offered a larger arbitration bonus pool uh, a larger ar- arbitration pool and more players eligibility for their third year backing off the amount of players they wanted eligible after their second year uh, and, you know, still uh, very disparate on the increase of um, minimum salary. So I just saw that the actual minimum salary in 2021 was 570000 So I was even, oh, 615 is what the league is proposing. Okay, hold on. So 570000 divided by 162 is that. Okay. Which means if you played 10 games, it's yeah, it's something like a colossal difference on a per game basis. 10 games is 35k uh for the year, and and 20 games would be 70 and change. So yeah, still uh not great, Jim. Not great. But yeah, the uh player association is proposing seven hundred seventy-five thousand as a minimum, which per game, let's actually do that. So that's actually probably a better way of thinking about it. So the league is proposing 615,000, which is what I had just used. 
So on a 162 game, a per game basis, that's $3,800. And the Players Association is proposing 775000 which on a per game basis is about is just under $4,800. So it's about, they're about $1,000 per game apart, which again, for someone whose income as, is as wildly variable as a minor leaguers, that $1,000 which less really it's going to be $800 like probably even less than that after taxes. That's game changing. That's so, many so much actual MLB players that are playing and spending a full season in the majors are making the league minimum. Yeah. 1%. I'd like, yeah. There's going to be, there's going to be tons of guys I'm sure, but also I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those guys had other like signing bonuses that they, that they're still living on. Like, Guys that are that are surviving on the league minimum, chances are are so bad, but their teams are so they're Tyler Wade's who it's who it's like we you're not good, but man, we need somebody, and we so you're gonna arm. be here. Yeah, yeah, we, we need a warm body need, who can play stuff. Same pitch, same pitch. Yep. And but so that guy's not gonna get a real contract because he's not good enough for it. And, you know, league minimum will serve him fine because he's going to have to leave baseball eventually. And, you know, he he, he knows that. But, you know, like, yeah, I don't think a guy like Glaber Torres was surviving on league minimum. I'm sure he had a lot of signing bonus and other money that was being funneled to him before he got um, into arbitration. So really, the league minimum guys are going to be the guys who are like um, uh, Chris Gittens, who came up for the Yankees in 2021 where it's like all of our first baseman imploded. And now we need this guy who I don't think was drafted super high. I don't think he got a signing bonus. And now he's going to be making a set of $50 today. He's going to make $3,500 today. Uh, and that will now have to hold him over for like six months. Right. You're going to have to live off of this. Yeah. Cause you also got to think if the league is not paying out uh, very much money, to their players, you better fucking believe their benefits are also hot ass. If they exist, I'm not, I wouldn't even be confident if they they? existed. Your medical insurance is the emergency room. (laughs) Fuck you. Anyway, so they are planning on meeting more frequently to start talking more, which to me, really feels like that's got to be coming from MLB because for the player's perspective, I think they've handled this super well. Mm-hmm. I mean, because apparently I also didn't know this. The players don't get paid for spring training. Did you know that? Nope. Which means no one's losing money on the player side from missing spring training games, but teams are losing money. From not being able to broadcast them. Or sell tickets to them. Which honestly, I'm sure, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to come back and bite players to some extent when the start of the season gets, you know, delayed or guys get hurt because of the lack of spring training. But overall, I think that's a net positive. Just saying a fuck you to the owners. Because boy, I just fucking hate all of you. Also, apparently, uh, lockouts only have to have 
23 owners um, an agreement, which means, because I'm saying this in kind of a roundabout way as I try to remember which is the positives and negatives in my head, eight owners. Like it, take, it takes 23 owners to break the lockout, which means you need eight owners to keep the lockout, which, man, doesn't that feel like the Senate? <laughs> eight guys can be like, only eight. There's 30 owners. Eight guys can be like, eh, fuck them. Fuck you guys. Fuck you, Hal. Fuck you, Jim. Fuck you, Arte, Mar- Arte Moreno or whomever. I don't know. Um, I am. St- we're, we banded together the billionaire boys club to to keep the lockout going because I I hate these immigrants. I keep importing to play my sport or whatever <laughs> fucked up shit they think. Eight. That's it. Eight dudes can keep this shit going forever. And so I wouldn't be surprised if this move was on the the owner's side to be like, oh, man, we need something to wrap up here quick without making too many concessions. Because they're in a way tighter spot than the players. Oh, yeah. Baseball will not exist without the players. It will not. Baseball will exist without the owners. It's like one of those things where you look at that from a, a broad perspective and it's like, well, of course, you know, they need the players, but like, no, really literally you can't play baseball without the fucking entirety of its players. What do you, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? Anyone could own a team that look at the PGA tour, the players own the tour. There's no owners. There's a governing body. Sure. But there's nobody that owns the rights to the tour or owns the companies that the the players are well. There's people who own the companies that the players are sponsored by, but there's no teams. It's just hey, we're the players. We share revenue. Boom. We want something settled. Hey, the players decide what happens. Granted, that's leading to some fun drama right now. But at the end of the day, there's none of this bullshit. You know, um, fighting over peanuts where players are being fucked over. No, you play and you get money for it. And, you know, for the most part, people are happy. And, hey, if you're playing on tour, you're making a living. Yeah. If you're playing on the minor tours, you're still able to get by. Well, and it's a leverage thing. Like, the, the owner's only leverage here really is we have the infrastructure, the current infrastructure for you to play baseball. And it's like, that's all well, and and we pay you. So, really, our leverage is... We want you to work in order for the businesses that we have spent collectively billions of dollars building in order for those companies to function. We desperately need you to work, but we won't pay you unless you do it our way. And for the players, it's like I have an insanely marketable skill, something I am incredibly good at with multiple leagues around the world who will pay yeah, less than you, but still pretty fucking good. You can get over a million dollars a year playing in the KBO. Uh, and uh, I don't necessarily need you. Like, I, I'm i going to be Mike Trout, whether the Angels exist or not. And I'll be just as good at baseball, whether the, the Angels exist or not. Whereas you won't be an owner unless there's a team that you can say you own. So if we're talking about who can last the longest. 
even just in terms of of, of opportunity cost or, or, or potential losses that don't never get realized, like the players collectively are going to be inherently losing less salary than the owners are revenue. Because if it was not the case, every team would be operating in, in, a, in a cost deficit from salary. And that's not how it works. So inherently, the owners have more to lose percentage-wise and in real dollars than the players do. And I bet the players are well aware of this because I am not smart. And I'm aware of this. Believe it or not, all of these players have Twitter too. They know what's being said. If they don't know it innately from just existing in the sphere, they're told. They can find out. They know. And it's the same thing that just happened two years ago with, with, with the, the wanting to, for the owners to prorate player salaries and cut them. And the owners blinked. Cause guess what? You have no leverage, none at all. All you have is money. And guess what? In order to keep having a lot of money, you have to pay the players or they will not make you more money. Imagine paying property tax on a building in Queens after earning no revenue. No. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, it's unfathomable to think of. That's where we're headed. At least, at least, uh, you know, when there was no fans in the stands a year ago, two years ago, they could, uh, you know, broadcast the games on TV. There's no games if there's no players. Stupid. Oh, mm-hmm. so that's where. We're, so hopefully, by the time we record next Sunday's episode, there's more stuff happening. Uh, and it's wild that the, you know the players are still making good faith concessions, even if they're not big. Mm-hmm. You know they've inched down, I believe, the minimum salary, or maybe I don't remember where they put they where they put the minimum salary. Now that I think about it, but the the changing from wanting more second year arbitration eligible players to it's just saying we'll take an increase in third year arbitration eligible players as long as you increase the amount of money that is available to them so they can make higher earnings with within arbitration. Like that's a good faith negotiation. You know, that means basically that the owners can keep a way higher percentage of players than what the players organization had just offered. They can keep a higher percentage of players on minimum salaries in the second year and just have more players arbitration eligible in the third year. Right now it's really just the bulk of players fourth, uh, fourth, fifth and sixth years. Like that's it. So, I mean, there are uh, exceptions, but but by and large, and that's what the players' organization is arguing for. They were like, give us more players to be eligible in year three. You said no to year two. We got it. Give us year three. That is a good faith negotiation. MLB has not done that. So. Um, and I think just the tiny concessions that the players are making is I know it's by all means they shouldn't even be making them because far and away the they are already getting shafted. But I think it is enough of a smart decision to do that pure excuse me purely for the 
hey, we are doing something. Let's keep the court of public opinion on our side and well, show that the owners are doing fucking nothing here to end this. And we're at least trying. And legally, you have to. Right. Legally. That's operating in good faith. Right. Legally, uh, you if you are within negotiations, you are required for your next negotiation. It's in a monetary neg- negotiation. It has to be uh, your next proposal has to be better to the opposing party than your previous one was. And MLB has done, the player association has done that very well by making concessions very small or, or, you know, some smaller than others over time in order to keep negotiations going forward. Cause what that also does by making the small, as small as you can, good faith next step is it puts the ball back on MLB. It puts it back to the owners and says, your turn, bitch. And that's really what they have to keep doing. Bitch. Yeah. I mean, just keep passing the ball back. That that's all that's all they have. That's all they can do. That's all they really need to be doing. The big concession is has to gonna is gonna have to come from the other side. Because like we just said, from the time perspective, the players have that advantage. Missing spring training, it sucks from a player health perspective for sure. But if we're talking about the money aspect of it and the long-standing ramifications of the money aspect of it. Way worse for the owners than it is for the players. So I think they're playing it well. But yeah, we'll keep it updated. I don't got anything else. Do you got anything else? Um, Phil Mickelson's a greedy piece of shit. Really oh, what do you do? Um, trying to leave the PGA Tour and instigate a mutiny against the PGA Tour to go collect several hundred million dollars from the Saudi royal family to go play for them. How does that work? Uh, The Saudis are trying to start their own golf league that is a direct competitor with the PGA Tour. Uh, And in order to steal players away from said PGA Tour, they're offering just exorbitant amounts of money. Like Bryson DeChambeau, uh, was reportedly offered $240 million. Just here's a check, come play for us, play 12 events a year, make $30 million, $40 million doing that, um, rather than doing it on the PGA Tour. And uh, Phil was very heavy-handed in his remarks about doing so, and even said, hey, we know that they're pieces of shit. We know that they kill gays. We know that they killed Jamal Khashoggi. But, uh, hey, this is about getting leverage against the PGA and making the PGA Tour better. And then as soon as he said that, Mm. everyone was like, holy fuck, Phil, you can't say the quiet part out loud. This is – and it's it's starting to fall apart because of those comments, but it's a much larger conversation to be had if we are going to have the conversation. Goddamn. Yeah. Phil. That's a lot of ruined golfers. your reputation in about two weeks. Just utterly ruined it. I'd like, I'd like to sit here and say I could scoff at that quantity of money on my morals, mm-hmm. especially like the Saudis. You know what I mean? Or like, like some area where it's comic book levels of villainy. Mm hmm. You know, like Vladimir Putin offered me $60 million 
to, you know, like go give high fives around, like something really stupid and easy, like something I can reasonably do, like Phil Mickelson for golf, like giving high fives to a bunch of Russian people. Just like, I'll give you $50 million if you just like go high five everybody in the Kremlin. It's like, I can do that. But it's like, do I take that money? Like, I don't, I don't, we're, I'm not sure I want 60 million Putin bucks. Like, I, I'm not sure that's, that's right. where I want my morality to be. And it's also, and it's like, but that's also me as a guy who doesn't have any money. Like, how you know could Phil, I? Go ahead. Do you know what Phil Mickelson's career earnings are on and off the field in 30 <laughs> oh, years? On and off? So including his sponsorships? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to lowball because I, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Are, are, a wild guess? A wild guess, 800 Any guess dollars. you want. No, uh, my real guess would be $200 million. <laughs> You shouldn't have changed it. It's $800 million. What? <laughs> So angry that you guessed the exact yes. fucking number. Yes. I don't even think that's adjusting for inflation. Like it's oh, genuinely shit. just that's Phil. Like Phil Mickelson's essentially a billionaire. Um, you mean a billionaire? That's what I said. I thought you, I, you moved. I thought you said millionaire. I was gonna say like, yeah, eight hundred million dollars makes you a millionaire a few times. Uh, yeah, a couple eight hundred times over to be exact. But that's what I'm saying. Like, um, how how do and you know this is like the same conversation we, we just kind of have with with the owners. It's like you have so much money. Why do you care this much? Yeah, uh, the rumor is a crippling gambling addiction. But if you've already gambled away eight hundred million dollars, um, the Saudis aren't going to be able to help you. No, because if you're going to gamble away eight hundred million dollars. You're going to gamble away 240 more. Mm-hmm. That's how gambling addictions work. No one ever goes, ah, <sighs> you got me. You know what? I'm done wasting my money on this. I just realized this yeah. is a mistake. Yeah. Wow. Gambling is just throwing your money away. I had no idea. I could have right. been eating it as food, and that would be a better investment. <laughs> oh, Phil. But yeah, uh, thankfully, as of today, it's all kind of just been crumbling around everyone else. So we'll see if this jumps up again. And as there's more uh, distance between Phil and the rest of the guys who want to go take the Saudi money. But this is what I hate about offseason stuff, because it's never good stuff. It's never fun, happy stuff. It's never like, hey, everyone's doing great. Everything's fine. Guess what? The players got everything they wanted and solved global warming along the way. <laughs> like, no, it's like everything you love sucks behind the scenes. Everything you love brings everybody else pain. Blows hot ass. Man, imagine how many children's hospitals Phil Mickelson could have built with $800 million. I know children's hospitals are a thing, but every time someone says children's hospital, I can't help but think of the show Children's Hospital. And just picture Rob Corddry and clown makeup, yep. and it just kills me every time. You said, "Think about how many children's hospital," and my next thought was seasons. Dude, like here, nine you Rob could Corddry's. find a lot of seasons of children's hospital. Oh yeah, those were fifteen-minute episodes, and that's being liberal. Oh uh, uh, man, with eight hundred million dollars, I don't think Phil Mickelson is ever liberal. No. But if he's also going to start funding shows, more seasons of NTSF SD SUV, please. The great show. 
Shoutouts to you, Paul Shear. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was very lost with those letters, just all in order. Just NTSF SD SUV. Yeah. Yeah. Just it it very quickly overloaded my very basic brain. It's got a great intro song. Yeah. Speaking of shows, have you ever watched uh, Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun? Auntie Donna's? Auntie Donna. Yeah. No, never heard of it. It's on Netflix. Really funny. Highly recommend. Showed Quinn today. She hated it. It's like, <laughs> no, you'll love it. I'll check it out. I just got a. I just got uh, replied to by David Cross, the comedian on Twitter, because yeah. I mentioned I mentioned how much I love. One a show that he made a few a decade ago that I absolutely adore that nobody's seen. I the saw increasingly that poor decisions of Todd Margaret. I saw that tweet. I didn't see his reply. That's yeah, great. Yeah, he, he replied back. Thanks. I'm like, yeah, love you, buddy. Um, cool. I love it's you. It's a great show. It's a really, really great show. Check oh, it out. Oh God. His in, his decisions are increasingly poor. I mean, that's all you need to know. Yeah. All right. Well, this is not that show. It's a different show. So. We'll wrap it up here. Uh, hopefully, we'll have some fun stuff to talk about. Maybe we'll try to craft something instead of just uh, shouting to the abyss. <laughs> For next episode, we'll see where life takes us. Uh, but that's uh, that's for Thursday. So, in the meantime, if you'd like to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Hell. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at Juicing the numbers at gmail.com. And until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Uh-huh.